Hi, and welcome to Kiskadi, where we explore women identified, gender nonconforming, and gender expensive communities across the Americas, and how we are creating a post pandemic future grounded in justice, abundance, and hope, and how you can be part of it. I am Bia Vieira, inviting you to join us in this journey and in action. We're here today with the amazing Dolores Huerta. I'm just so happy and feel so privileged to have this conversation with Dolores. Welcome, Dolores, and thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And Dolores, I know that the Women's Foundation of California has a long history with the Dolores Huerta Foundation. We have worked together on a number of issues And I know that you care deeply about many, many different issues like workers' rights and healthcare for all. And I know that throughout your many, many years of being an advocate and being just an amazing person, that you have done so much work. Uh, Particularly, I wanted to talk to you today about three things. One is the ERA the other one is healthcare for all. And the other one is that I really wanted to talk to you about the Dolores Huerta Peace and Justice Center and what an amazing, beautiful project that is. But let's start with uh, healthcare for all and what you're doing right now. Well, uh, right now, this weekend, we're going to be having nine different food banks here in the Central Valley of California, Kern, Fresno, and Tulare and up in the Antelope Valley in California City, which is a small city way up there in the Mojave Desert. And we're going to be giving out uh, fresh food, uh, also uh, sacks of flour. And uh, so but while we're doing this, we're, we're combining a couple of other projects with it. Number one, we're doing a community survey about the census. So asking people to fill out some questionnaires there uh, so that we can get the information that we need to make sure that we get uh, redistricting is done in a fair way. And then we're also going to be passing out postcards and getting people to sign them. Postcards that we're going to be sending to Governor Newsom, to Speaker Anthony Rendon, and to Tony Atkins, and asking them to support health care for all of our undocumented uh, people in the state of California. Now, uh, we know that right now uh, people are covered up to the age of 26 years old if they're, uh, if they're undocumented. Uh, but we want uh, to have people above 26 years old also, uh, you know, be able to uh, get uh, coverage under our California Medi-Cal plan. And this is really important because we saw that with the pandemic that so many uh, of our vulnerable populations of Latinos, people of color, our indigenous population, that they were so severely hit. And when we think of the people that lost their lives and we can think, okay, maybe there's some way that we can save the lives of those that are left behind by giving them the kind of health care that they need. And so this is a very cost-effective way uh, to provide medical care to the rest of our population. We shouldn't uh, think that, okay, we're going to have part of the population is going to be covered with health care and the other population, oh, we don't care about them. Many of these workers are essential workers. They're farm workers, they're construction workers, they're people that do the the heavy lifting, you might say, in our society uh, to keep our society fed, safe, clean, and healthy. 
because they include daycare workers, childcare workers. These are the people that need to be able to have access to healthcare themselves. So what are you asking, particularly the legislature and also the governor, to do? Well, uh, the, the bill is AB4. Uh, it's by uh, Dr. Joaquin Arambula and asking the governor to include in his budget uh, health care for everybody in California. And you might say it's an expensive item, but it's also an investment in health. So we shouldn't think of it as an expenditure, but we should think about it as a safety an investment that we're going to give into our undocumented people. So the bill is AB4. It's by Dr. Joaquin Arambula, who was a, an assemblyman from the Fresno area, from Parlier, California. That's great. So we're going to ask folks to support and ask the governor and the legislator to really support this bill. That's great. Yeah, the, the three people that we have to target are uh, the speaker, the speaker, Anthony Rendon, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom and Tony Atkins, who is the senator. She's a, a, a president pro tem of the Senate. And we will make sure to have information about how to reach them for folks to be able to do that. And Dolores, I know that for many, Thank you. Of course. I know that for many years you worked on, on really covering uh, vulnerable communities in terms of health care, even before Obamacare. I know that California was a place that started covering at least children earlier than, than most of the country, most children in California before Obamacare. And I'm wondering how, how is it for you to be in this position to have to continue to fight for this all these years later? And how is it that we can get to a point that we accept that everybody um, most of my organizing as you know has been at the grassroots level and uh, whenever we have meetings uh, with families and we ask them what are the most important issues uh, that you care about number one is health care number two is education number three is immigration but health care has always been number one so this is what every family is concerned with because when they have somebody in the family get sick, it can devastate the, their budget completely. Regardless of what, how they're planning to spend their money, uh, healthcare always has to take them the number one priority. And so uh, in uh, our foundation, the Dolores Huerta Foundation, we want to expand the organizing that we're doing. And uh, we have been focusing on education uh, pretty much for the last few years uh, because of the great disparities and the inequalities that we have in our education system. You know, we sued our local high school district because they expelled 2,100 students of color in wow. one year. That's crazy. You can imagine. 2,100. Well, after our lawsuit, we got that 2,100 down to 21. <laughs> but we're still not there yet because what they've done is they transfer. Uh, the students into these alternative schools, and the graduation rate for our African-American students is still very, very dismal. And so we have a lot more work to do in that area. But we're active in about 20 different school districts, and we organize the parents and the students uh, to go to, their, to the school boards and make recommendations of how they can improve the schools. And uh, over half of the recommendations that that our communities have made, they have been accepted. So we're really proud about that. And we've been able to make some uh, really serious changes on composition of the school boards uh, to take out some of the, I'm going to say the word racist, and misogynist, homophobic. <laughs> I remember uh, the, one of the previous school uh, board members who was actually the chair of the school board uh, when they passed uh, this, the law 
in Sacramento that uh, they had to have the, the uh, multi-gender or bi-gender bathrooms that he said, we're not going to obey that law. We don't care what the governor says or the legislature says. Well, I'm happy to report that he's gone. <laughs> he's been replaced by a school teacher. <laughs> wow. So these, these are the changes that we're making in some of our other school districts where we got our people to get elected to the boards. And they found that there was a lot of corruption and they had to get rid of some of these uh, uh, superintendents that were literally stealing money uh, from uh, the taxpayers, the stealing money from, from the funds that were there for the, for the students. So, but now we're going to kind of pivot. Uh, and I actually, we, we sort of got into this uh, by working on COVID. Uh, we're doing so much work on COVID right now. Right now, today, we have 70 people that are going door to door and they're signing people up for their tests. They're giving them information about what resources are available to them. And of course, they're passing out masks. So, uh, so it seems like whether we like it or not, we're already in the healthcare field. So now we want to expand it and start really addressing some of the issues that affect our communities because so many of the illnesses that we have in the Latino and low-income communities, diabetes is preventable. Hypertension, obesity, these are preventable diseases, and yet they really affect so much of our population. That's amazing. So this brings me a little bit to, I know that there is a, a really beautiful project that you're working on, which is the Dolores Huerta Peace and Justice Center, which will also include an organizing institute. So, you know, hearing, of course, we know about your history and uh, the history of your working community and would love to hear from you about your vision for the center, for the organizing institute, and really what would you like to see 10 years from now after the institute has been working uh, and, and creating these amazing advocates that are already here, but now we'll have more tools. Well, we, one of the things that we are uh, totally convinced in our method of organizing is that people have the answers to their, their own problems. They have the solutions, but we've got to engage them. And once they're engaged and organized, then they come forward and they, they say, okay, this is what needs to be fixed. And, and we're the ones that can make it happen. We're the ones that can do it. And the, this is why we've been able to accomplish so much. Uh, in the past, we were concentrating a lot on infrastructure, and we have communities where people wanted a neighborhood park in, in their area. Another uh, a community wanted a swimming pool. Uh, another com community wanted the, uh, street lights and and and, and uh, sidewalks and gutters. All of this happened. One of our communities, uh, even in this community, by the way, it's called Weed Patch. That's the name of it. It's south of Bakersfield. And this is where the Grapes of Wrath, that uh -huh. great classic film, was filmed. Well, they wanted a, a gymnasium for their school. Their middle school did not have uh, did not have a gymnasium there, and so uh, they passed a bond issue, and they were able to build a state of the art gymnasium. But this is people power, right? This right. is people power, and throughout the whole Central Valley of California, the San Joaquin Valley, we have so many places that they look like a third world country, really. As if you go to some of these uh, places and you say, my goodness, who lives here? Well, who lives there? The farm workers live there. And right. what do the farm workers do? They feed the nation. They're the essential workers, and yet they do not have the resources uh, coming down to them, unfortunately. So we teach them how to fight for those resources, how to fight for their own representation. 
uh, and how to get themselves elected to school board, city councils. And so, uh, and of course, also, I should mention that we're also working on the redistricting, uh, which is very important uh, because uh, depending on how those electoral lines are drawn, uh, that will also depend on how many of our people can get themselves elected uh, to these different uh, city councils, school boards and board of supervisors. So the electoral work, by the way, is a very big part of the work that we do. We work very hard on Proposition 15, which unfortunately we lost, uh, but by a very small margin. Uh, but the idea is that we need to get more funding to come into our schools. And I, I don't know if you know the statistic, but California, uh, when I was growing up, in, in my school, we had art lessons, music lessons, dance lessons. I learned how to play the violin when I was eight because we had music teachers that came into our school. And uh, I, I got my first dancing lessons, uh, tap dancing, because we had a tap dance teacher that came to our school to teach us how to do tap dancing. And But that's when our schools had art and they had the drama and, and they had all of these wonderful perks that our schools do not have. And so at one time, California, we were number one in the nation in terms of the money that went for each student. Now uh, we are number 36. And before we passed the other propositions, Proposition 30, Proposition 55, which brought in 12, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it was $9 billion $9 into our school system, we were number 49. We were next to Mississippi in terms of the resources that we give to our schools. So we still have a lot of work to do. I'm happy to say that President Biden is saying he's going to when when he gets this past the the, the Congress, uh, bringing a hundred billion dollars into our school systems throughout the country, so our and our kids of color are the ones that are left behind. And now, of course, because of the pandemic, they're going to be even further behind. So we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Dolores. What have you seen, particularly in the Central Valley, the impacts of COVID, and um, in the uh, in the school districts and the the kind of learning losses that we're seeing nationally, but definitely more acute in vulnerable communities. Uh, we have been devastated. We have been devastated. So many people that have died, especially the farm worker communities, the Latino communities. Um, our students are so far behind because they didn't have the broadband that they needed. They didn't have the computers that they needed. And uh, sometimes you have a, a family where you have three or four children, but then to be able to get online for classes and everything was very difficult for them. So we're going to have a lot of catching up to do when it comes to education for our young people here in the, in the Valley. And Dolores, where are you in the process of the, I know, for the Peace and Justice Center in the, in the project? Well, uh, we're making some progress. Uh, uh, we have our local labor council that is supporting us. Uh, we've secured the site, which is very, very important. And uh, we're now trying to get the support of the city uh, to help us uh, with our project. And uh, we're going to be doing a big fundraiser uh, sometime in August. We'll let you know about it uh, so we can raise the money for it. And we're, we've also got a budget ask in, to, in the legislature uh, to try to get some money from the state uh, because our our um, center will also have a child care center there, a child care center and a credit union. Well, we have a big, very big youth group, by the way, uh, with our organization. And in all of the places we have chapters, we also have a youth group there. And uh, so 
there's going to be a lot going on there. You know, right now we've kind of outgrown our facility because we have over 45 full-time staff people. And as I mentioned before, we have 70 part-time staff, our campuses that go out there every single day. So we need, a, we definitely need a site. So uh, uh, the Self-Help Credit Union uh, is also helping us uh, with our projects. So yeah, right now uh, we're just trying to get the money. It's going to take $20 million uh, to build a center, but I think that uh, we're going to make it happen. Oh, I think it's, it's definitely going to happen for sure. <laughs> and count us in, count us in and helping making making it happen for sure. And uh, Dolores, I wanted to say a couple of things that, um, you know, through uh, hearing you in the past and, and of course reading about your work, that you really understood intersection of issues before there was a name for it, that we talked about it in that way. So in terms of equal rights, in terms of reproductive rights, in terms of all of these things that are related to how we are able to, as communities, to be able to thrive. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you've come to understand all the interrelationship and also the work that you're doing right now to support the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, that is so important. I think a lot of people just assume that somewhere there was a law uh, that said that women have equal rights to men, and uh, many are surprised to find out, I know, that isn't a law, but there is now a proposal for a law that is in the U.S. Senate. And this is something that we really have to work very hard for, uh, because in 2021, we can make history and we can make an amendment to the Constitution of the United States that, hey, women have equal rights to men, something that should have been done, you know, centuries ago. But we've got to make sure that it happens. And I do want to say to all the listeners out there, we know, especially all of you in California, we know that during the presidential campaigns, uh, uh, recently in the in the election in Georgia, that we have... Californians that do phone banking and they phone into the other states and they get people uh, to go out there and get people to register to vote, etc. Well, this time, uh, what we have to do is start out that phone banking, call into the other states and have them contact their senators to get them to vote for the Equal Rights Amendment. We can make it happen. This can be it. As you know, Virginia, the state of Virginia was the 38th state. Uh, that made it possible for us to go in there and get the Equal Rights Amendment. But it's not going to happen unless we do the work, because unfortunately, we have some senators in our government that don't believe that women should have equal rights to men. And we know it's around the issue of abortion. And this is a very important issue, especially for women in communities of color. And in a way, we can understand because there has been genocide against uh, Black people has been genocide against Mexican people uh, when this country took over, you know, uh, a third of the United States was Mexico. And so we can understand uh, why they have that mentality, but they have to understand that regardless of how they feel on the issue of abortion, this should not get in the way of voting for the Equal Rights Amendment. Okay, so we've got to get that out there. And, uh, and when you asked me the question about my own views And as you may know that I had to transition from the idea that abortion is a sin to the idea that, hey, abortion is not a sin. Abortion is a healthcare 
right that all women have in terms of being able to govern and take care of their own bodies, okay? So we just have to continue to work on that because unfortunately, those people that are against the equal rights for women, this is what they're using to try to prevent women from getting their equal rights. And so we have to get that message out there very, very strong and uh, be sure and tell everybody out there they've got to contact their senators. Absolutely. Yeah, we know in California, we have two senators we don't have to worry about. We've got Diane Feinstein and we've got Alex Padilla. The first Latino a senator from California, U.S. senator from California. So we're okay. But we we got those senators in Texas like Ted Cruz. <laughs> and, yes, and, uh, that is true. And Dolores, I, you know, in 2019, we did a, a convening with young women in Fresno, uh, the California Women Rising convening, and you spoke to, you know, many, many young folks. And I also, you were, it was so clear that you were such an inspiration to so many and across different generations. And I'm wondering, who are your inspirations? Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, I think today we have so many great women that we can look up to, of course, starting with uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, who had the courage to run for the presidency. And of course, now we have Kamala Harris, who is the vice president of the United States of America. Uh, we have Hilda Solis, uh, who is the supervisor there in Los Angeles County, who in her very quiet, humble way, she does so much and has instituted so many programs in Los Angeles uh, that are helpful to the low-income uh, communities. And then, of course, we've got the squad there, those wonderful four women in the Congress, like AOC and the others that are just out there you know, uh, giving that call out there that we've got to uh, protect our voting rights. And I, oh, I forgot to mention uh, for the People Act, S1, number S1. And because we know that all of these uh, uh, legislatures in the South and in the Midwest are passing all of these laws uh, to continue voter suppression. And of course, uh, when we pass S1, uh, the John Lewis for the People Act, then uh, that will make it impossible for them to uh, prevent people from voting. That's great. Wow. Well, one of my dreams is to have a conversation with you and AOC together and mm-hmm. listen to how you're, you connect. And, and it just, I think, would be amazing. And anything else you want to share with the folks listening to this podcast in terms of what's ahead and in terms of what folks need to do to, to mobilize I think we're living in some very exciting times right now, and it's uh, wonderful that we can all be involved in uh, in what's what's happening. I think there is an awakening in our country uh, after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the people of color that have been killed, that I think there is an awakening and people are, are calling for police uh, conduct reform. Uh, they're calling for universal childcare, which we, we know is something that women need, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, also immigration reform, uh, so that our undocumented people can uh, have uh, access to citizenship in the United States of America. So we do see that there's a lot going on, and we can't forget uh, the work that Jane Fonda and Greenpeace and the other organizations are doing in terms of uh, preserving our planet, you know, fighting uh, for environmental justice and uh, fighting against climate change. So uh, we are so busy, we have a lot of work to do, but I'm always glad to see that the Women's Foundation is always at the forefront of uh, making sure that people are informed, that people are engaged, and that we as women 
are in the leadership of all of these major issues uh, that, that we are, the challenges today that we are working on today. I, I always like to quote, by the way, uh, Coretta Scott King, who said that we will, we will never have peace in the world until women take power. And I think that's something that we can reflect on and think of, uh, because uh, when we still see that there are wars, needless, I'm going to use the word needless wars that are going on in, in all, all around the world. And we know that those wars are about power, they're about resources, and those are things that we know that women can manage a lot better than men can do. Although I do like to use the word feminist because I know we have men out there that really support women's leadership, women's reproductive rights. But uh, so I, I like to change a Coretta Scott King's quote to say, we will never have peace until feminists take power. Because at the same time, we know there's the women out there that still uh, have to, haven't got their, their light turned on in their brain. You know, they're still thinking that they have to uh, be supportive of what men think and what men do and not, not uh, honor their own their own abilities and their own thoughts. Oh, thank you so much, Dolores. You are always very inspiring. And I want to also take this opportunity to say happy belated birthday on April 10th, which now California has a Dolores Huerta day on April 10th. And I do know that one of your wishes for your day is for folks to get activated and really go out and get out and do the work that needs to be done. So I really thank you. We feel, we at the Women's Foundation California feel so privileged with this really close relationship that we have with you and the Dolores Huertas Foundation. Thank you. The Women's Foundation uh, was, I think, the first foundation that ever gave a grant uh, to, to us when we started. Way back 15 years ago, when there was just my daughter uh, and myself, my daughter Camila Chavez and myself, and then, and then one of my other daughters joined us, Alicia and Lori. But there was just like the four of us. I did get a grant from the Puffin Foundation uh, for 100000 and I used that uh, to start the foundation. But the first uh, grant that we got beside the Puffin Foundation was from the Women's Foundation. And so I want to thank you for having faith in the work that we're doing and that you continue to be there and help all these different uh, organizations that are headed up by women uh, because we know Women, we are going to make the changes that need to be made, and uh, we have that ability. And and as we like to say in Spanish, the ganas, we have the will uh, to make it happen. So, again, I'm very grateful to the Women's Foundation. And congratulations, and keep on doing what you're doing. Gracias, Dolores. Muchísimas gracias. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. If you want to learn more about our guests, their work, and campaigns, and how to get more engaged. Go to medium.com slash and follow us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Kiskadi is executive produced by Bia Vieira, produced by Wanda Costa of Starlet Productions. Original music composed by Maxine Solomon. Original artwork by Yasmin Hernandez, Wanda Costa, and Nicholas Schultz. Graphic illustrations by Kay Dugan Morale of Illustrating Progress. A very special thanks to all of our guests and supporters, the Women's Foundation California, the Culture Change Fund, and you. <laughs>